Pastor Xavier Ruiz on the initiation of God and responding to the call. I think sometimes we can lose sight of what even happens in our own life and we see something happen and say, well, that just happened to happen or that was just coincidence. And we don't realize that God is in control of our lives. That is very important for you and myself. Now, I don't always know this, but I'm to be looking, I'm to be praying, I'm to be anticipating what God is going to show me so that I can see that He is the initiator of all things. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Author Erwin Lutzer has noted, when you surrender your will to God, you discover the resources to do what God requires. And in the case of the Jewish people released from the 70-year Babylonian captivity, God moved the heart of the secular ruler Cyrus to allow, even encourage, and help the Jewish people to return home to Jerusalem. And that's just one evidence from the book of Ezra that Pastor Xavier shares to remind us of the simple truth, how God still speaks to men. Let's listen. Every once in a while you will hear discussions among Christians whether God still speaks through men or to men. And some will be willing to acknowledge that God has spoken in the past by the prophets to the fathers, as Hebrews chapter 1 says. Some are even willing to acknowledge that God will speak to us in the future when we're with Him. But some people are kind of hesitant to say that God still speaks to us today. Now, let me clarify that a little further by saying that if God does speak to us today, the standard by which we judge and discern the voice of God is the Word of God. So we're not open to any crazy little dream or vision or a psychedelic thing that goes on. But everything has to be compared to the Word. If God is truly speaking, then He speaks according to His Word because God's not the author of confusion. In the book of Ezra, as well as Nehemiah and Esther, we get the record of Israel's history after the Babylonian captivity. These three books are three that you should think together as post-captivity. And when you think of these three books as we study them in the next weeks to come, I want you to think of three prophets at the same time. The prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were the last prophets to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament canon was closed. And so it would do you good in the weeks to come to study those three prophets, read them, uh, get the general understanding of what it is they were talking about, what were they complaining, what were some of the problems that were going on during that time, and you'll see them tied together with these three historical books. Now, I believe that God still speaks to men today. I believe that God speaks to you, and I believe that God speaks to me. Now, I have never heard God in an audible voice. If I have, I probably would just fall over and die. But I know when God is speaking to me. When I'm off alone, maybe just into the Word, and I'm just seeking the Lord on something, He can speak to me. And I just know that He's directing that passage to my life, or He's tying something together. Or sometimes I'm just driving down the freeway, and I, and I have a, a strong impression that God is dealing, speaking to me, guarding something. Or He'll drop a thought, or, or, or a concept, or something. And I don't always discern that that's the voice of God right then and there. But sometimes afterwards, it's confirmed, be it by something or the Word, and it's confirmed that it's God. 
So God does still speak to us. If he doesn't speak to us, let me ask you, why are we gathering together? And so we have to be careful what we say regarding God's voice and the times that he speaks and has spoken. Now I understand, as I said, that the word is the boundaries by which we judge things, and that is very important. That's why we are exhorted to be students of the Word of God. If we're not students of the Word of God, then we cannot discern what is truth and what is error. And today, the Church of Jesus Christ, especially here in the United States, is inundated by predators from the pulpit. Countless of hundreds and thousands of people sit under pastors that are teaching heresy and wrong doctrine. And we need to discern by knowing the Word of God. Now... In chapter 1 of Ezra, we have the decree of Cyrus. As we look to the world today, I wonder how many of us ever think that God is in control directly of some of the things that are going on. Or do we just think that the world goes on as usual and God is far removed, He's so transcendent, He's not concerned with the affairs of men. That's the concept that some people have. The Bible says that God, though He's transcendent beyond man's finding out, He is very imminent. He is very related to the world. And He is in control. Remember in the book of Daniel that uh, Nebuchadnezzar confessed Him to be the God of gods, but He didn't really mean that from the heart. And therefore, He erected an image 90 feet high, all of gold, actually trying to contradict God's prophecy of the empires to come. He cast the three Hebrew children into the fire and... He called him out and he acknowledged God again, but he didn't learn his lesson until God made him as a beast of the field for a season or so. And then he said this, there is a God in heaven who does as he wills and no one can tell him what to do. Now all we have to do is look to the nation of Israel today who became a nation in 1948 and realize that God has once again stepped into the history of man. For there is no explanation for the nation of Israel as a nation after 2,000 years. And yet Jews are like spiders. You find them even in king's houses. Everywhere through the world, God says he would scatter them. And so chapter 1 here, we have the decree of Cyrus. But do not lose sight that Cyrus is the one who is decreeing, but it is God who has initiated. It is God who has brought it to pass. I think sometimes we can lose sight of what even happens in our own life and we see something happen and say, well, that just happened to happen or that was just coincidence. And we don't realize that God is in control of our lives. That is very important for you and myself. Now, I don't always know this, but I'm to be looking, I'm to be praying, I'm to be anticipating what God is going to show me so that I can see that He is the initiator of all things. The first verse says, Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all of the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people. May his God be with him. Now let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build a house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever remains in any place where he sojourns, let the men of this place Help him with silver and gold and goods and livestock besides the freewill offering of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. God is the initiator. This is in fulfillment to Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12, Jeremiah 29, 10. Jeremiah had prophesied that God was going to take the nation of Israel into captivity. The close of 2 Chronicles, just page just before Ezra. 
It's because the reason why they went into captivity, because they did not give rest to the land in the Sabbaths. And so God says, I'll let the land rest by putting you into captivity for 70 years. And so God prophesied through Jeremiah that he would come back. You remember in chapter 32 of Jeremiah that as Jeremiah was in prison because he was accused of being a traitor, that God told him to bring his uh, uncle to him. His uncle was going to come to him and, and sell him that he was to purchase the land at Anathoth. And then when he would bring them back, he would have the title of redemption as a sign that they, he would bring them back after 70 years. And so we see God as the initiator of the captivity and the initiator of the freedom given to them. Now God uses men, and many times God uses non-believing men to fulfill his purposes. But nevertheless, God is the initiator, not man. You recall that in the days of Jesus, the prophets had already prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. And yet they were up in Nazareth. And so God had to get him down there. And so he moved upon Pontius Pilate to make a decree of a census, a tax. God initiated. Now Daniel here is in the palace still. And if we read Daniel chapter 9, it says that he knew according to the books of Jeremiah that the 70 years of captivity were almost up. And so he sought the Lord with prayer and fasting. Daniel wanted to see and to know how he fitted into the plan of God. What is your heart? Do you want to fit into the plan of God? Or are you satisfied with just seeing God work around you? Or to just know that, yeah, God is working out there somewhere. You see, it's important that as God initiates, that we as the people of God respond. Now, Cyrus responded and then in verse 5 on down, we see the people responded also. The heads of the father, or the fathers and the heads of the tribes. God always seeks out his remnant, those who are going to respond. Now Cyrus is the one who decrees, but it is God who initiates. The fathers are the ones who respond, but it is God who initiated. Interesting, when you and I accepted the Lord too, you know, God initiated and we responded. Funny how we look at sometimes our, of God working in our lives. We say, well, you know, I went to this church and I heard this band and, 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 I, and I just, I, I, I accepted the Lord. <laughs> I found the Lord, but the Lord was never lost. I'm the one that was lost. And God was working in my heart and I can see beyond my life even when I accepted the Lord, the different people, the different things that were going on. And God was in pursuit of me. He initiated it and I responded. Jesus told his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, in chapter 2, we get the daring people. The reason I call them daring is because these people were in captivity. And though under Nebuchadnezzar and the various Babylonian kings, they did not have the best treatment. Under the Persian rule, the Jews became very prosperous. Unlike the Assyrians, unlike the Babylonians, the Persians' custom was to repatriate the enslaved nation and to help them get on their feet. And so many of the Jews became very prosperous. We look when we get to the book of Esther, we see that many of the Jews remain because they were settled, they were comfortable. But here it is, God's initiation to the daring few. 
as we study history and we see the great movements that have taken place within the church, with Wesley, with Moody, with revivals in Europe, any time God initiates it and it's only a remnant, a few people that respond to the work of God. And it's usually a response different than the majority. Usually it's different than the tradition or what's gone, going on at that time. It usually looks as the most dangerous. Now, as I said, they were very comfortable. But yet these individuals, which was a combination of some who had gone into captivity and others who had been born in captivity... And so it wasn't just those who had known God before in the glory of Israel, but it was a remnant of all of Israel who responded. It's interesting that as God began to move in the late 60s, early 70s, He began to do a new work. He initiated to tug on the heart of young people, of old people, and to do a new work to reach many who did not know Christ and he moved away from the traditional church and there was a core there was a remnant who trusted God and responded to that initiation now is the glory to ourselves God forbid it is God's initiated work all we are doing is responding to the good work of God in verse 2 of chapter 2 you have Zerubbabel and Joshua on the top of the list Zerubbabel is a political leader he was in the line of the kings. King Jeconiah was his grandfather. Sometimes he's uh, known by Jehoiachin. You can find that in 1 Chronicles 3, 17 through 19 and other portions. But because God had done away with the monarchy, he didn't pick up the reign. But he was the political leader. And then you have Joshua, and he is the spiritual leader. He's the high priest. He's in the line of Aaron. And here you have these two valiant men to repatriate the nation, going back, responding to the work of God. The list of many families are given to us. The priests in verse 36, the Levites in 41 or 40, the singers in 41, the gatekeepers in 42, and in verse 55 we have some of Solomon's sons there. But they responded. Now, here you have a group of people who could have done this. They could have said, listen, we've already been here 70 years. Our roots are down. Our houses are here. Why do we want to go back to that rubble? Why do we even want to respond to God as He's speaking to us? Let's just settle down and kick back. But that wasn't the case. One of the most dangerous things among the people of God is lethargy and complacency with comfort. As we study history, as we study the scriptures, we see that it always enters into the people of God and they lose vision. They leave the cutting edge for security. Now there's a group of them in verse 62 to 63 who could not produce their genealogy so they were not allowed to be part of the work until it could be required or inquired with the Urim and the Thummim, which was a means by which the priest inquired of God. We don't know exactly where they was, but Urim and Thummim means light and perfections. 
Back in Exodus, a priest would have a pouch right here on his chest, and they believe it was a white rock, a black rock, and they would pursue the mind of God through that. But they couldn't produce their genealogy, and so they were put aside. They were not allowed to be part of that work. But these were daring people. They were leaving safety. They were leaving everything. Now, I think of my own self and many of you who God touched. I mean, here I was. I was just going on in life, and I was going to school, and I was going to be a teacher. I was going to do this. I was going to do that. And all of a sudden, God came into my life and just rerouted me. I see the many people that God has touched and brought, and just the number of people that God has allowed us to come to know the Lord, but how many are no longer walking with God. How one little wrong turn, one little wrong decision has just devastated their lives because they got comfortable, they got complacent, and they ceased to respond to the initiation of God. What a devastating thing. And, you know, the Lord really allowed me, I believe, to sense. And I looked at my house. I look at, you know, you're in your car, you've got clothes. And everything that you can gain in this life is so worthless, so empty. If you're not in the middle of God's will and being used of God and hearing the voice of God. Everything is so dead. It's worthless. You know, people just work and work all their life and they're trying to, you know, get ahead and, and put money away and do this and that. And what do you do when you get to the end of your life? You've got a house. You've got some money in the bank. And you're waiting to die. I mean, I understand that's a very general description of it, but... What are we living for? If I am not being used by God, if I'm not seeing the work of God in other people's life, if I'm not being used by God in some way, shape, or form, what in the world am I living for? It's really empty. Really empty. And so these are the daring people because they stepped out, even as Abraham had stepped out. God says, Abraham, get out of your kindred, your nation, your tongue, your people. And he stepped out, scary, but he stepped out, and he walked with God. He took Moses, and he put him in Egypt, and he took him out of Egypt, and he put him back in Egypt. But Moses stepped out. Gideon. And we can go on and on. Could, can your name be added to the list of the many lists that are in the Bible about a man who has made a decision with, for God and walking with God? Now, we read these names, they who care, who are they? But God knows who they are. Is your name written in the book of life that God looks upon and says, I know him, I know her? And they made a decision. And they stepped out of the norm and they were walking with me. They're daring. They dare to trust me when I speak to them. And they know when I speak to them because they have my word. The total number of those who came back is in verse 64 and 65. It was about 49,897. So let's round it off, 50,000. That's really a small number in comparison to the captivity. Let me suggest to you that when God always begins a new work, it's always with the few, not with the many. God will develop it. God will increase it. God will do a tremendous work but it's always with the few that are daring enough to trust and respond to God's initiation. That is so important. Now, in chapter 3, we have the disciplined life of these people who have responded to God's initiation. 
Verse 1 says, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Once people respond to the initiation of God, if they have truly made that commitment to God, and it is God who's working in their life, they become a disciplined people. They live a disciplined life. Listen, I didn't say legalistic life. I said disciplined life. Because sometimes the church teaches legalism and confuses legalism with spirituality. Nothing could be further from the truth. I know a lot of people that are real legalistic and they're carnal. They're not spiritual. They think they're self-righteous by what they don't do. And yet the Bible says that it's not a matter of doing, but it's a matter of being what God is conforming us in Jesus Christ. And so the first mark of a disciplined life is that they gather together. If you have truly been touched by the Spirit of God and you have responded to the work that God is doing today, then you will give evidence of that by gathering together with the people of God. You will not be doing a solo out there just, well, I don't need to go to church. Many people ask me, where in the Bible does it say? Well, try Hebrews 10. How about when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name? How about the illustration of Paul says of the body, many members, yet one head, and the body's under the head? How about the principle of head and submission in the epistle to the Ephesians? Throughout the scriptures, there is the implication as well as the direct statement that we are to gather together as a people of God. Why? That we may keep each other accountable, that we may study the word of God, that we may be open to the direction of God, and that we may make an impact in the community that God has put us in. And so the first thing we see is they are, are disciplined to gather together. Notice this as one man, one mind, one vision. We know who we serve. We know where we're going. We know why we're here. And you don't have a fractured body. How awful it is when, when you come into churches where there is a fractured body and you have those who are of Paulus over here, those of Cephas over here, and those of, you know, I mean, they, you know, and, and they got this little committee that doesn't like the elders, and, and you've got this little group over here who, who doesn't like the pastor because the pastor hasn't let them sing in the choir and this and that. And you got all these fractured things, and, and you know, and the church is going nowhere. But the marks of a disciplined life and a student of the Word of God and gathering together is that you know where you're going, you're one mind. You see, it doesn't do any good just to follow a man. It's important that we're following Jesus. That altar speaks of my coming to Him and, and, and spending that time and, and going before Him. See, before I can fellowship with Him, I have to go through the altar. I have to lay everything on the altar so that all impurities and everything are, are, are just consumed. The burnt offering speaks of dedication, consecration to the Lord. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I realize that my relationship has to be cultivated, it has to be kept right. And so I develop that relationship with Christ. It isn't just a religious movement. I'm not just going through formalities. I'm just not trusting in, 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 in my name being on a, on a roll or in just being a participant in some area of that ministry. And so the response is from the heart due to the relationship they have established. God is doing a good work. They've laid the foundation. They've started the work. They're seeing God work in the midst of them. But mark it well, it's due to a disciplined life. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing with some marks of a disciplined life in response to the call of God.
A list we'll pick up next time in the continuation of a new study series in the book of Ezra. Now, you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you'd like your own personal copy of today's intriguing message, you can ask for it by name. It's called God Still Speaks to Men, and you can request it on CD for just $4. And having your own copy makes it easy to share with someone else you know. Once again, it's called God Still Speaks to Men. And here's how you can reach us. Write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you let us know the call letters of this station when you contact us. We're promised in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese brings this encouragement and more next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com